Hi, everyone, and welcome to season four of the podcast. I'm super excited to be back and to announce that the podcast will now be called the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast to better reflect the subject matter. The first few episodes were recorded before the rebranding, so I still refer to it by its old raw fork name in those. Anyway, I had no idea when I started this podcast that it would evolve to this format, but I did know that I wanted to share people's stories. It has evolved from me reading my blog post out loud to interviewing non-traditional pharmacists, including herbalists. Season 4 will air every Friday, highlighting inspirational pharmacists that chose to fit out of the proverbial box and are working to build a new system of care focusing on natural and preventative medicine. Please enjoy the show. Hi friends, welcome back to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I am super excited for today's episode where I had the great privilege to chat with Canada's first holistic pharmacist. Rosemary Pierce is the owner of Pharmacy Alternatives Corporations, a consulting firm specializing in natural product development, formulation, and research. She earned her pharmacy degree from Dalhousie University, Halifax in 1972. She studied herbology with clinical herbalist Terry Willard at Wild Rose College, and she's integrated these disciplines into her pharmacy practice to become one of Canada's first holistic pharmacists. Throughout her career, Rosemarie has researched and formulated natural medicine and lectured across Canada on holistic health with an emphasis on women's hormonal health, digestive issues, cognitive and ocular wellness, inflammation, immunity, pH balance, as well as drug nu- nutrient depletions. Rosemarie is on the faculty of Pacific Rim College, an award-winning institution specializing in holistic medicine and sustainable living. She presents workshops as part of the Diploma of Holistic Nutrition program and just debuted her first online course on drug nutrient depletions and drug food herb nutrient interactions. Rosemarie also serves as a senior technical advisor for Prairie Naturals Health Products and GFR Pharma Manufacturing. Rosemarie has two grown daughters who spent nine and 11 years in Waldorf education. She was founding director and second president of the Calgary Waldorf School, Anthroposophical Medicine and Home Remedies, Waldorf Education, and the work of Rudolf Steiner remain dear to her heart. Rosemarie and her husband David have been offering community development workshops known as heart-to-heart communication to groups and individuals. This heart-opening process, helping individuals develop deep human connections, is one way David and Rosemarie feel they can contribute to the betterment of humanity. So without further ado, let's welcome Rosemarie to the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I have with me today a very special guest. She's from Canada, and she is the first holistic pharmacist up there. She is um, a specialist in longevity and many other holistic and herbal endeavors, as I'm sure she'll tell us. So please welcome Rosemary Pierce. Thank you, Maria. Thank you for having me. Yes, welcome. So excited to dive deeper into your journey. So why don't we first start with where you grew up and how you came to be a pharmacist? So my... um, 
my pharmacy career really started in Nova Scotia. I'm an East Coaster. I was born um, in, in Halifax. And um, uh, sorry, my printer was going. <laughs> it was taking my attention. Born in Halifax in 1949, actually. And it, it was when I was eight years old that I, I chose to be a pharmacist. And wow. that was because... Um, Somehow, I didn't feel like every other little girl that did everything that every other little girl did in the 1950s. Um, and so I didn't want to be a teacher or a nurse. That was the typical, <laughs> typically what little girls would say when in school. So um, I have a Dutch mother who was a war bride, came over in 1947. So she had a broader view and she was quite equal to my dad uh, in, in that sense, which I think was great. My, you know, they were a good team. They worked together, they shared everything and they were centered around their three children. And all three of us are now in the natural health industry. My two brothers are entrepreneurs and have large companies and, I work as mostly, I have my own company, I work as a consultant. Um, but going back to that time at eight years old, my mom gave me a number of other possibilities and probably about the fourth, fifth, somewhere in there, she suggested pharmacists. Now I didn't know what a pharmacist was at eight years old. It wasn't in my um, uh, vocabulary, we lived in the country. So I asked her and she explained it and I went, hmm, well, that's different enough. <laughs> it's not like what every other little girl wants to be. Uh, you know, that would have been in the back of my, my thoughts and part of my motivation. But I think there was actually something, as I look back, something else working through me that knew this, intuitively knew this was a good path. And I almost continuously stuck to that. Um, I varied a bit when I did a, a bit of modeling in my, when I was 17, I was part of um, a 17 club and did modeling and loved it. I loved the energy, but when I really read about modeling, it was too focused on the external for me. It just didn't grab me. So I continued on and went to Dalhousie University in Halifax, which there are 10 colleges of pharmacy connected with uh, prestigious universities in um, Canada. And um, Dalhousie University College of Pharmacy serves mostly the Maritimes, but we also even at that time had foreign students in our program. I took four years. I did a fourth year um, at that point, at that time, it was a three-year degree program. Still very tough, as we, as we pharmacists all know how tough pharmacy is. Um, but I did a fourth year. And that fourth year, I actually, it was usually, it's the fourth year um, course is a research. So it's lab work, working on drugs. I was invited to do it on storefront clinics. Mm -hmm. So there were, there was at that point a um, storefront clinic in which I was involved in as a student pharmacist in the um, 
in the poorer area of Halifax. And it was run by um, a committee of locals and it was serviced, overseen by medical staff, but serviced mostly by students. And I was the pharmacist. Matter of fact, they, the, the, the locals called me the drug pusher, very, oh. with, a big, with a big chuckle. Anyway, they, um, I, I did that as a, a student program over uh, a couple of summers and then was asked if I would um, do this fourth year thesis course on that, which I did. Um, and it actually set me up for um, being recommended for a clinical program. And in, and now this is 1972. <laughs> you probably weren't even born yet, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so in 72, um, in at the College of Pharmacy in Halifax, they were just starting clinical pharmacy. And it ended up being a um, down to two people, myself and actually the president of our student body, a he and a she. Uh -huh. <laughs> and they kept us waiting for quite a while um, and finally chose the he. And when I talked, when I talked to one of my professors who was um, part of that committee, I said, just by any chance, was that because with your first program, you thought you might have a better chance with a male? And sure enough, it was uh, at that time. And um, if you think of the where people were in the 1970s, uh, it would make sense if everything was equal, that would be the deciding factor. As it so happened, he never continued in clinical pharmacy. And for me, it set me up for community pharmacy. And I'm really glad that it did because if I would have gone that route, I probably would have stayed working in hospitals. And um, I really belonged yeah, with people. Uh, so, and I can see the, I wasn't um, too disappointed because I had a job waiting for me and uh, it was a wonderful 25 year, roughly 25 year career, just uh, as dispensing. I kept a license for about uh, 25, 30 years before I realized that I was totally committed to holistic Wow, amazing. So many little details I'd like to go back to in that story. So uh, first of all, are you the eldest or are your brothers older than you? No, I'm, I'm the oldest. <laughs> okay, so you're, kind of, you're paving the way then, you know, all three of you ended up in natural medicine, and I'm sure yeah. they looked up to you. Yeah, it was, a, we've worked all three as Three of us have worked together quite a bit over the years. Um, I've supported them, especially with my credentials and research knowledge, but they've supported me from the business end because they, they've been driven by as entrepreneurs. So um, they've given me platforms and uh, lots of opportunities to share what I know. Amazing. I love when siblings work together like that. And it seems like your parents also set you up to kind of think outside the box and be different and not have the same dreams as everyone else and like set you up to stand out right away. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I would say that it was very much so. If I was programmed, it was programmed for success. I heard it. I'm lucky. You know, you, you're going to achieve, right? So it was a program, <laughs> a good one in a sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think the key to my brothers and my success has been how much our parents cared for us how we were the center of their world and we knew it. It was a safe environment. It, you know, there was a lot of trust and a feeling of safety within um, uh, my growing up. Yeah, that is the foundation, not only for success, but also for good health and good relationships and a lot of love, you know, I just feel it. So that's, that's really great to hear. And another thing I wanted to kind of ask about is how is pharmacy school structured now in Canada? Because a lot of the listeners are probably used to the U.S. model, where right now it's a either two and four program or a total of six years. And you get a, your doctor of pharmacy at the end, which is pretty much equivalent to a master's degree, but it's that doctorate in our field. So how is it structured in Canada? You know, I'm not as involved in the academic end of pharmacy, but I believe it's close to the same, that you have to have at least two years of your BSc, Bachelor Mm -hmm. of Science, right? Um, Even preferred to have the degree and then the four years. At the time for me, it was, I went directly from high school Uh, And it was really, you had to have quite high marks. That was the big um, uh, sort of entrance at that point. Okay, nice. So tell me what you found when you started working in community and what you learned over those 25 years and how you kind of transitioned into that holistic model of care. Well, actually my transition was a very slow It started with when I was in university. Uh, When I was in university, in my second year, a professor came who was a PhD in pharmacognosy. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you know what pharmacognosy is, but a lot of pharmacists still uh, that I've talked to don't know, younger pharmacists, that it's it's really the study of the active ingredients in herbs. He uh, uh, came out of... um, the the Prairie Provinces, University of uh, Saskatoon. And um, I I would imagine he had, because he was quite young, he had finished his PhD, came. And so we had good amount of studies in nutrition, vitamins, minerals, um, and herbs. So he taught and I love those courses. When I look back in it, of course, I was inundated with all of it. Um, but when I really see where I excelled, it was in those studies. Then, um, so that was my background for three years. Then when I went into my first full-time job, I had all my precept preceptorship finished. Um, I was quickly licensed. I had my Canadian board exams. I actually think I was 
a little bit egotistical about that. I felt like I was really on top of my game. Um, I was working in downtown Halifax, which is has five universities surrounding it. So it's a very much, and remember this is yuppie time. This is the baby boomers. I'm in that first wave of the baby boomers and um, lots of, of university students really with it. I was working at downtown Halifax, very close to Dalhousie, and I was getting asked for things I didn't know. <laughs> so they were coming in now this will sound very weird I'm sure but they were coming in for less than granules mm. <laughs> now in 1972-73 not many people would have known less than granules or they wanted magnesium oxide powder you know there were different things they were asking for and um I'm going, okay, so what is it you want these for? Well, we're making pep-up drinks. Where are you finding about pep-up drinks? <laughs> and there were books by a nutritionist called Adele Davis. And anybody that's been around as long as I have will know the books of Adele Davis. Let's eat right. Let's, let's, uh, um, let's have, let's, eat right for our children. They, but Let's Eat Right was her title. So Adele Davis uh, was putting out these books, which actually were in paperback on my magazine rack. Wow. Yeah. So once I heard about them, I went to um, my own, own paperback rack, picked up a couple of her books, picked up uh, Linus Pauling, Vitamin C in the Common Cold, which was just becoming well known, the Shoot Brothers with vitamin E, looking at cardiovascular health. And so I started reading these and it really thrilled me actually. My remember my key phrase at that time was, wow, if you can do it with a vitamin rather than a drug, much better off. <laughs> That's the conclusion. I actually remember reading them with my husband um, of the time on a beach in Nova Scotia and just get looking up to him and saying, oh my goodness, right? If you can do this, this is so much better. So what happened is I started talking to all of my customers that were, let's say ordering large dose vitamin C mm -hmm. or, um, and I, I started to be known as the pharmacist that was sympathetic towards nutrition and, and vitamins. That brought the attention of um, somehow that got around. Halifax isn't that big of a place. And um, there was a schizophrenic society in Nova Scotia. That head office was in Halifax, actually quite close to where I was working in downtown Halifax. And um, the, and the um, president of that uh, society had uh, a schizophrenic son and many of them of course that were on that would have been a volunteer uh, board had children that were schizophrenic and uh, maybe some bipolar but at that point it was mostly schizophrenia that I would hear about and they were sending their children down to the states into New York probably close to where you are to a um, doctor called uh, Dr. Alan Cott. Mm -hmm. 
Now he was an orth. Have you heard of him at all, Marina? I'm not sure actually. Kind of. Yeah, really look him up. A L L A N, I believe. Cot C O T T. He he's written one book. Uh, I believe it's A N. Might be E N. Um, he's he was a. Um, uh, uh, a peer of Dr. Hoffer. Okay. Abraham Hoffer, right? Yeah. So these are the schizophrenic doctors. They're, 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 they're psychiatrists. Um, I'm sorry, the orthomolecular doctors that are psychiatrists, but that are working with high dose, at that time, vitamin Bs, uh, vitamin C um, were typical of what they would be prescribing, especially niacin. Now, the other thing, in, in the 1970s, let's say mid 70s, you could not buy more than 125 milligrams of vitamin C unless you had a prescription. Wow. <laughs> yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah, so wow. that's why I would see these people taking high dose Bs or Cs coming in because they had to, and they actually had to give me a script and when I had the script, I could then order it. Okay. So, so I couldn't stock script? Pardon? Was the script from the US? So it was an international? No, no. If, if, it was, um, if it was a script for any drug, anything that was controlled or, or um, what we call schedule one, it had to be written by a Nova Scotia doctor. Okay. Um, but it's amazing. I'm, I, I could not tell you where on the schedules were the, were the, these uh, high dose vitamins, but they were definitely control and to more than a regular drug. Wow. So yeah, isn't that amazing when you think about it, how tightly they had these uh, nutrients under their, their control. So, um, so people would bring vitamin prescriptions in and I would order it. They would come back for it. Now these, as far as these, um, uh, the schizophrenic society with their trips down to New York, they would get Dr. Alan Cott to write a prescription, which would then come back and be co-signed by a Nova Scotia doctor. Then I could order it. So, um, what they had asked is, would I do this for them? Would I work with them? They'd heard of my, my uh, inclinations. And I said, sure. So I did that. And then what happened with over a period of a year, uh, they had ordered, uh, they had organized rather a conference to bring Dr. Alan caught up to have a, a talk. And it was held in a lecture theater at the university. And they asked me to give a talk on pharmacist perspective of, of this. So that was my first big lecture. Wow. <laughs> and, and talk about nervous. Like, you know, I'm 23, 24, I think at the time. Uh, yeah, yes. And um, that was, I put huge amount of research into that, which took me to another level of understanding of orthomolecular therapy. Um, and by the way, the same thing happened with um, the different vitamin Bs. For example, niacinamide, um, I, it was a low dose again. I think it may even have been less than 100 milligrams. But if the 500 milligrams used by these um, orthomolecular therapists, 
definitely had to be on, on prescription. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I was kept busy. Um, and I often at that time, I remember being asked, is, aren't you an oxymoron? <laughs> because <laughs> they didn't think pharmacists and natural medicine went together. Thank goodness things have changed. Yes. Right. And so nice to know that there are more holistic pharmacists, that there's functional medicine. If I was on the beginning end of my career, I would definitely go and add that on as a specialty. Um, I would also probably take pharmacognosy as a specialty. I don't know if you're aware that there are very few universities that offer pharmacognosy now. Hmm, no. As a program, I it might be. Um, is it University of Philadelphia? I'm, it's been a while since I've looked it up. Uh, do they have a College of Pharmacy? Yes, they do. Yeah, I think it's there. But if you look it up, it's it is a set program, and I believe it's only one, maybe two universities in all of North America that offer this now. Wow. Well, I do know the University of Philadelphia offers a cannabis master's program. Oh, wow. Yes. Well, it would make sense then that, that they also have pharmacognosy because that's would. hand in hand. Um, it was Dr. Uh, Frank Chandler, PhD, who was, who's, was, was quite well known. That was the professor that was the PhD in pharmacognosy. And I, I believe he's still alive, at least a year ago when I looked him up, still living in Halifax. Wow, good for him. Yeah, so now I'm on the West Coast. I held a license in Nova Scotia. I held one also in Alberta. I was in Nova Scotia for 28 years. Um, I also taught compounding uh, after I graduated for a number of years they asked me to come back and uh, be in the compounding lab as a lab assistant. And we pretty well ran that compounding program. And then I went to Alberta. I was there for 28 years, kept a license, had my children and then left. Um, and now I'm on the West coast. I've been here for be 16 years. Yeah. 16 years soon. Amazing. So I've actually come across a lot of Canadian, both um, pharmacists or like products that are naturally sourced, natural, like, um, how do you call it? Nutraceuticals, I guess, mm -hmm. nutraceuticals from Canadian based companies. So I, I feel like Canada is actually one of the countries that does a lot of research and does a lot of naturopathic sort of practices. So would you say that's true or have you noticed that trend increase? Because it sounds like it wasn't very popular when you started your studies, but now there's a lot more access. There's, there's a huge natural um, health products industry, which I've been a part of since the 80s. So in the 80s, um, and of course, there's where my brothers are entrepreneurs. One has a national company called Prairie Naturals, started when we were in Calgary, in the prairies, in Alberta. And my other brother is a private label manufacturer. 
And so um, I'm very involved and that's where I'm probably best known um, is within the natural health industry with people who uh, work in health food stores, who, who are trained. Uh, some of them are naturopaths. I love training naturopaths. We have a lot of natural pharmacies that both dispense, sometimes they also compound and they carry whole natural sections. So it is quite an industry in Canada and one area that has been um, of great interest to me is researching a particular condition and then looking how to formulate for that. So I've done a lot of formulating and, and right now actually, I'm, this is just in, in the beginning stages, but I'm working with two other women and the three of us are um, looking at how to uh, integrate our research knowledge. Uh, one of these women, is a researcher, she's an MD and PhD university, uh, working university. So she has uh, even more academic background than I do, but I'm quite knowledgeable in the, in the natural health industry, the uh, nuts and bolts of that. And um, another woman that holds more of the business end with us. So the three of us are looking at how do we develop um, and raise the standards within Canada, and also um, up the research um, based and Canadian, um, local Canadian products. Because I think that's what we're missing is, and I believe all North America is missing that, to have more of our raw materials come from North America, especially US and Canada. For example, I formulated a product for people who um, do not have gallbladders, right? So it has ox bile and pancreatic um, enzymes, pancreatin in it. it. It took me years and years before I could make that product because I could not find USDA certified, certainly not Canadian, but USDA certified ox bile extract and pancreatin. It, they came from Mexico or China. And so I, did, I wouldn't make it. I wouldn't make it if I couldn't find USDA and US uh, raw material. So, um, and luckily about four years ago I did. And, um, and that's become a very popular formula. And I'm very proud of it because of the research and the um, not lowering my standards so that I, I would actually have um, the good quality raw material. Yeah, that's certainly important in terms of sustainability and ethically sourcing products as well. So, yeah, and, and the purity, the guarantee of purity, because with animal products, there's such a potential for things to go off, especially if they come from maybe questionable sources, not necessarily is everything from uh, China or Mexico questionable, but I tend to want to buy Canadian first, US second, <laughs> and only when forced to go outside of, of, of those two. Yeah. Yeah, I respect that. So can I ask, 
it seems like you have kind of naturally progressed and accepted opportunities that came your way and, you know, just continued on with the momentum. And so were you really starting to do your own research and because you started to see the benefits of these alternative vitamin therapies and you started to believe and put weight into it? Like, how did that passion arise for only focusing on natural products after a while? Well, I think one piece in there is I did, there's, there was a natural health college in, in Alberta called Wild Rose um, College. And Wild Rose happened to be right in the town, Calgary, that I lived. Um, and there's another piece to this. And that is at that time, my children were young. And I helped found a Waldorf school. Are you familiar with Waldorf yeah. schools? Yeah, because yeah. they are definitely. Uh, I've been in upper uh, New York State to um, Sunbridge College. Uh, I've done courses there. I've been over and, and, and in the West Coast in Sacramento with the, um, the anthroposophical pharmacy there. So, and that came after I found Waldorf Education. So Waldorf Education brought in this um, city, which was less than a million people at that time, it's a couple million now, but before it really expanded, uh, but it was still a big city in the sense that you, it's not like small town. Mm -hmm. um, but within that, the, uh, this development of the school, which I was part of founding in, um, that would have been 1984 when my oldest was five. <laughs> so, um, so when she was five and my youngest was three, I was looking for education that matched sort of my inner values. And when I read about Waldorf education, it was immediate lights on. Oh my goodness, this is <laughs> it. And there happened to be a fledgling group with a kindergarten and um, a sort of a Waldorf influence kindergarten who were looking towards put putting a school together. So we did and first year had a split grade one, grade two. By the second year, we had uh, three classrooms. What that did is it brought the holistic community together. Mm. So it was, for me, it was if, as if I was with friends, um, you know, parents, because you have to be very involved as a parent in a school, especially a beginning school like this. And um, the, uh, in, in my daughter's class was the son of the founder, Terry Willard, a very well-known herbalist, uh, PhD herbalist who had Wild Rose College. So we were kind of a, a small town community in a, in a big city. And that was really valuable for me. So I was, um, I, I got swept into that easily. And over 19, I think 1989 to 92, I um, did um, my master's in herbology, the uh, advanced course three times, once myself, and then twice I took through pharmacists through it who were interested that. So, yeah, so that really grounded me. It grounded me in aromatherapy. 
um, it, which was very new in the 1990s, was not well known the way it is now, um, in herbology, in nutrition, and really set the stage for me to be able to support my brothers as they developed their companies and go into formulation. But the formulation led to me, the, me um, really being involved in educating people. So it gave me a platform for uh, talking to retailers and also doing public talks. And that um, was easy for me because if I was formulating something for, for eye health, I really studied the eyes. Right. I went into the anatomy, the physiology, the drugs, um, and then the all the natural subs, uh, supplements that, or raw materials, really, that had science behind them. So it set um, a number of years for me to uh, explore just about every area. As it turns out, the area that really grabbed me the most was the body's acid-base balance. Mm. So pH, mm. right? And because I found that whenever I was working up a PowerPoint in a presentation, I always had to have a piece on pH balance in there, whether it was arthritis or osteoporosis or no matter what subject it was, anti-aging, uh, there was always a piece in there. And finally, I went, now, wait a minute, maybe I should reverse this and talk about pH and then the effects on the different areas of the body. Mm -hmm. And so to this day, I still give uh, courses on that. As a matter of fact, coming up for with Pacific Rim College, which is where my educational aspect really, um, I get to explore that in depth. I'm giving a um, seven, seven and a half hour lecture at the, uh, or workshop actually at the end of February, for the last Saturday in February for Pacific Rim College for their holistic nutrition program um, as an elective. Amazing. Yeah. And then the next Saturday, March 6th, and, and this is all available through my, my links. So uh, if people are interested, because there are accredited courses towards the holistic nutrition program and Pacific Rim College actually has, um, uh, it's got an award-winning three-year holistic nutrition program. And, and now with COVID, the advantage to that is, almost all of it is online, right? So almost all of it um, is, they don't have to physically go the way I used to, to the college to give these. That's great, yeah. Every cloud has a silver lining, eh? <laughs> no kidding, yeah, yeah, very much so. And it, it is to be able to, I think it's a real art to be able to find those and to, um, allow those to blossom instead of the downsides of things and what causes worry and stress. Yeah, yeah that's so important. Such an important reminder for all of us. Right. Yeah. So what's like your favorite part or I know you mentioned pH and acid-base balance. Is that, do you think your centerpiece 
thesis if you had to, you know, condense like one main idea that holds health together? Or um, what's that missing link for the big health picture? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. Um, actually, I would say that, but what I think the piece that I offer that is not often solidified is how that in, relates with digestion. Mm -hmm. Because internally, we want our body pH to be slightly alkaline. Mm -hmm. depending on which body fluid we're talking about. If it's the blood, it's very narrowly uh, regulated between about uh, um, 7.45, just roughly in that range. It can vary a little bit more in different body, internal body fluids, but it always should be on that alkaline side. And of course the urine is a good indicator of what's going on, especially with the blood because of, of the effects of the kidneys. So of course, pH has a huge effect on the kidneys. And as a pharmacist, we understand the importance of the kidneys and the health of the kidney because of how drugs take such a toll on the kidney function. So um, one of my premises is that working with pH and staying out of that alkaline uh, or into that alkaline state and out of an acidic pH supports kidney health, whether you're on medications or not. Um, with age, it's more difficult. Kidney function goes down as we know. So that is a very important aspect. Now, the, just to go back to my original, where I said, I um, believe I bring in something different. It's how there's a relationship between these internal body fluids and digestion. So there's, and what I, I do within these two talks, because my, my first talk is called acidity, modern diet, diets and degenerative diseases. But the second workshop, which is um, the following Saturday, that March 6th, it's a natural prescription for supporting digestion and the body's alkaline acid acidic balance. Mm. I have to look at these titles because mm -hmm. difficult to kind of grasp it. But what I'm doing is as I'm building an understanding of pH, and I, I really go into the chemistry of of fluids, body fluids, uh, and electrolytes, because understanding that it's a building, understanding, you know, what um, a, uh, a, uh, a proton is, and, <laughs> and how a proton is an acid, and, and, and building it right up to understanding the functions within, within the kidney. So it's quite in depth for these students. It's meant as part of their program, although um, public can also take these. It's not closed to them, it's, uh, uh, but the students are the key ones that want this knowledge. And then on that second part, what I'm looking at is, okay, so if a person's eating right, um, 
what else is affecting so that they're getting their alkaline minerals and their buffering agents? What else is affecting the internal body pH? And then how does the internal body pH affect the digestive system? Mm-hmm. And that is huge through stomach acid because there's a direct relationship between how much stomach acid we actually can build up, need it to uh, prepare minerals and vitamins for absorption, right? Because unless we can ionize uh, minerals in our stomach acid, which is, uh, we don't absorb most of them because they're, they're in salt form. So they have to be separated, ionized, otherwise they're not absorbed. So the relationship between how um, proper amount of stomach acid, it depends on internal body alkalinity. Wow. So, yes. And that's just one of many connections that happen between those two systems. It happens within the lymphatic system. There's just so many um, interrelationships there that um, you can't really separate them. Although one has to understand internal body pH and the importance of that and the effects. Because of course, one of the, the, the largest problems that we have with a long um, standing, low grade acidosis is osteoporosis. So any osteoporosis program that does not address the body's pH is missing the very foundation of it. So there's there's those aspects, but let's say that you are doing everything diet and supplement wise, but the pH is not adjusting. It's not changing. It's not becoming alcohol. Most likely it's the digestion. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, it is. And it, it's wonderful. I love it. I've been excited about it for years. I keep finding more pieces to this. Are you familiar with Dr. Linda Freschetto? I think she's, she's a um, US nephrologist, PhD. Um, I, I'm just trying to think of what university she's at right now. Might be, oh yes, it's University of California, the San Francisco campus. No. Okay, she's, she's a wonderful researcher on pH and alkalinity um, and buffering and buffering a freshetto, F-R-A-S-S-A-T-O, I think is her last name. Uh, yeah, she's, she's quite a lady. I've been following her work for years. Actually, in Europe, they've had three acid-based symposiums with all of the work. It started in the early 2000s, maybe 2003, and they've had um, two since then. So getting all of their abstracts, and she's, she's been a big contribute, uh, has had big contributions towards that. Um, so there are a group of PhD scientists just studying acid base and how it's affecting the body, looking at ancestral diets 
and many other aspects. So yeah, I, um, I, I just find that the research is continuing and it's uh, wonderful to have a platform to share that information. Yeah, amazing. So is that why the proton pump inhibitors have that side effect long-term of causing osteoporosis or contributing to it because they're suppressing stomach acid production? Yes. Stomach acid should be between one and three. If we take PPIs um, daily, stomach acid never goes below four. Without, and so there are two big aspects there. One is we're not having enough stomach acid to ionize these um, alkali minerals found in our food or supplements. And the other aspect would be that without stomach acid, we now are shutting down the most, um, uh, or, or the optimal use of our um, liver gallbladder uh, juices and our pancreatic juices. Remembering that bile is acidic, I'm sorry, is alkaline. It has buffers in it and pancreatic juices is alkaline as well. And they come in and deposit through the common bile duct these acid neutralizing juices mm -hmm based on the amount of acid that we have in our stomach. If stomach does not have a lot of acid, the message does not get to these two um, important aspects of our digestive system in order to produce the, the juices and then allow the proper amount that would then also bring along with it bile and our pancreatic digestive enzymes. So digestion is suppressed. So not only are we suppressing the ability to ionize our minerals, but we're also affecting the proper digestion of food. So what would you say is, if food is not properly digested, what would you say is the most common sign of that? Um, probably your stool, you could see undigested particles. And constipation. And constipation, yes. <laughs> because <laughs> undigested proteins and undigested carbohydrates form paste. So without a diet of copious amounts of fluid, and even with that, you're still not breaking down these uh, uh, partially digested proteins in the form of peptides or carbohydrate um, macromolecules. And if you, we think, what I usually refer people to is think about taking uh, flour and water. And what do we have if we mix them? Paste. It, it's the most common form of making paste. So one of the key um, areas that people are not re recognizing is that they have low digestive ability if you have low stomach acid. So that means that food's not being broken apart. That means more nutrients are not properly released from those foods. And um, so an area that I've done a lot of research has been in 
uh, hydrochloric acid supplementation, how can you support the body and also in digestive enzymes. So that's another area. And of course that ties into, into longevity because without proper absorption of nutrients, how do you reproduce healthy cells? Yeah. 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 And yeah. why does stomach acid naturally decline as we age? Well, I would say that there are two major factors. And one is, as I said, tied back to uh, an acidic body. And of mm -hmm. course, an acidic body is based on poor diet. Mm -hmm. But another factor that affects poor diet is stress. Mm right? Because what happens when we're under stress, whether it be um, a, an immediate flight or fight or chronic long-term, is digestion reduces. Blood supply goes away from digestion, digestive enzymes, hydrochloric acids not produced. Now, and if the diet's poor, if it's a typical devitalized, um, not alkaline diet, full of acid forming foods. And usually those would be proteins such as um, animal proteins, dairy, high in phosphorus, high in sulfuric acid, and not saying they should not be in the diet, but obviously they should be of, high, of really good quality and not dominant in the diet. And then poor amounts of fruits and vegetables which provide these alkali minerals. We, if we do not have a source of alkali minerals, the body does not have a reservoir that's um, there except to take it from a small amount from organs and tissues and then to, to actually deprive the bones, right? So, so it all really ties in to, so it's, so to go back to answer your question, it's stress, poor diet, both causing a, an acidic body and reducing digestive processes, starting with stomach acid and then our ability to um, produce digestive enzymes. Yeah. So it's a vicious cycle, really. And understanding that is, is really the, I would say, um, a big part of what I try to offer as an understanding of the connections between um, what we eat, our stress levels, and our internal body fluids. Wow, I love that. It's the body has its own wisdom, and it knows what to do to balance itself out. But we find ways to mess it up anyway. So. <laughs> um, anyway, Rosemary, I had such a great time talking to you. And I learned so much just from this one hour with you. Your journey was just amazing. I think we could talk for a few more hours. Um, but we're running out of time. And I'd like to ask just a a few quick rounds, fire rapid round questions. Are you up for that? Sure. All right. So what's that number one missing piece that we can do to improve our whole alkaline acid base balance and improve everything that we just talked about? Take your urine pH regularly. 
So monitor your pH through your urine, given that it reflects the, the blood, because once you do a home pH test with very sensitive pH paper, one that would go between 5.5 to 8, for example. You don't want the full scale that we would have used in university. You want pH sensitive paper within, within that range. Do the urine because it's so demonstrative. It will give a reading. And if you're continually below that 6.4, especially leaving that paper yellow, which would be a 5.5 type range, that directly tells you that you're low in alkaline minerals, you do not have enough buffering agents, and your body's in breakdown mode, not build up. So um, because the body needs uh, to keep, it's always in a negative, always trying to make that up. So taking your, um, your pH, and I do it regularly, because it keeps me motivated if my pH goes off. If you do the pH first thing in the morning, and actually on my website, I think I still have the P how to properly monitor your pH. So when you um, uh, supply my, uh, my connections, people can get to that or they can, they can email me and ask for it. But that pH is a way right at home in the morning, if you look at it, you know that the day before your, your pH was off. So it's, I think we need direct, not somebody telling us, but something that directly demonstrates it. So could like one meal offset it and then you could just reset it the next day to eat right? Well, remember that we should be building up alkaline reserves so that we could accommodate that. Basically, um, what you're doing is, is doing it every day and then seeing a pattern. And then if the pattern goes off, for example, I um, years, let me see, about six years ago, I got a whole body vibration machine and I was really working this machine. So I was exercising a lot and my pH went off. But it took me some time to go, oh, that's what shifted. Um, and then I had to accom accommodate that. Now that I'm in my 70s, I recognize that if I don't take magnesium at night, I often am off. So wow. I take a very alkaline magnesium at night and actually an ionized magnesium um, for, for good absorption. So if I drop my magnesium, I do a lot of magnesium. I do magnesium usually in the morning and also with meals. Um, but if I drop off that, I'm going to notice a difference in it. So yeah, it's but that pH paper doesn't lie. Sometimes I have, I have people, Marina, call me and they'll say, my pH paper must be too old because <laughs> it's always yellow. It can't be. It must be like, and it's like, unless water has ended on your pH paper, no, it's you, not the paper. <laughs> yeah. So that would be my, um, you know, based on that question, it would be, get pH paper and see for yourself whether your body has enough alkaline minerals and buffering agents. Wow, amazing. So what is the optimal range, did you say? 6.4 to 7.4. 
Okay. But yeah. where we want it to be um, like closer to the 7.4? Um, it depends. It, you know, if you could aim for that seven, as long as you hit the 6.4 and get used to what affects uh, your, your body's pH. You know, if you go out a couple nights during, during the week or a couple of evenings on the weekend and drink alcohol and your pH on Monday morning is <laughs> into the yellow, into that 5.5 range, you might go, okay, I've got to do more to work uh, against the alcohol effects um, the next morning. Yeah. Yeah, that's really empowering. Like, you don't have to go anywhere and get tested. You can just go get the kit and test it in the convenience of your bathroom. Exactly. And, uh, and I get empowered to make different choices the following day. Right, right. And it is important to do it first year of the morning. As I said, I have this whole sheet where I line it up so that a person can do it properly. Um, but if you're able to do that first morning and and not be getting up in the middle of the night to urinate, that's that's the best. Yeah. All right. So now I just have a couple of fun questions. What's your favorite hobby? Oh, oh fiber arts. <laughs> Anything in fiber arts. I have been doing um, needlework and knitting since I've been five, having a Dutch mother, that was a big part. And uh, what I do mostly now is knit, but I knit with very colorful textured wools. I, I don't try to do complicated patterns. I'm using it like meditation and for the love of fiber and color. So yeah, it would be fiber arts, um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I would love to see some pieces next time. Yeah. I have one. It's over in the next room. <laughs> Just a minute. I'm going to get it. <laughs> You've got me all excited here. <laughs> yeah. I I see you're like a very fashion forward uh, woman. I love what you have on. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm actually very much into color. It just so happens, even though I love many colors and you'll see my colors change based on the season. I'll change these. Are, um, these actually are um, prints that my uh, husband's grandmother did. Wow, she was, a, she was uh, quite an artist, yeah. um, and uh, but they change, and so do I. This is the back of a sweater. Yeah, this is beautiful. I love it. And it's you can aquamarine today. Right? <laughs> yeah, it just so happens. Uh, this is one of my um, color palettes, but um, this particular sweater is done with three different yarns. So I'm. I, I get to switch it up and I get to see how the colors develop. Um, and it's got texture and it's all natural. Beautiful. These are wool, wools. Um, and uh, yeah. You got another so, career lined up for you. <laughs> well, actually, when we formed the Waldorf School, uh, I was actually a paid handwork teacher for five years. 
There you go. Teaching, teaching grade one to five, knitting, crochet, beading, leather work. Yeah, I oh. did. I loved it. That was, um, I could be with right with my kids. That's when I didn't practice pharmacy was oh, during those years. <laughs> cool. Okay. My next and last question is uh, what's your favorite beverage to drink? Uh, well, I would have to move toward an alkaline beverage. And I do that because um, I do this uh, as a combination of um, a drink that I formulated years ago, years, 20 years ago, um, based on lemons. My mom always squeezed the juice of half a lemon and had it with water every morning. Mm -hmm. And when I asked her why she did that, as I was formulating based on that, she, um, she just knew it was good for her. And for hundreds of years, people have known that lemon, it provides alkaline minerals, it provides buffering agents in the form of citric acid. So I actually used that, found an organic compliant lemon made for baby food in Europe, combined it with alkaline citrate-based minerals and made an, an alkaline drink. So I will either use the lemon or move to my more powerful um, alkaline drink, uh, called Morning Rise and Shine. And then I add in apple cider vinegar. I'll add in green powders and red powders with polyphenols in them. Mm. So I'll use um, superfoods along with the uh, alkaline drink um, and um, add in extra because lemons and apple cider vinegar both provide these little organic acids, which I know if there are many pharmacists listening, they'll know what an organic acid is, but these little tiny acids we find in, in citrus and other fruits and vegetables, especially um, acidic fruits that transfer in the body, the kidneys use them to make bicarbonates. And that's part of, of, of what I teach in that, in that course at Pacific Rim College is about citrates and um, these organic acids and how to use them. Um, so yeah, very different than your last guest. I actually listened to your interview and hers was water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was so interesting. I was thinking, wow, are we, we the water, pure water has to be the basis. And I put that in probably, oh, 18 or 20 ounces of, of pure, good quality filtered water. Um, so absolutely, it's hydration and alkalization that I'm keen on. Wow. Well, you are one well-read and very healthy lady. So thank you so much. And why don't you also tell our listeners how they can get in touch directly with you and maybe sign up for that course? Well, there are two ways. I'm, um, my link tree would be a good one because it, it lists uh, everything there, uh, my social media, my articles, and, um, and also these courses. So it's Linktree, which is, of course, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E, backs or forward slash, I guess it is, Rosemarie, M-A-R-I-E dot Pierce, P-I-E-R-C-E. So 
um, that's where the most complete of everything would be. But my website is also, and by the way, I don't know if you did this, but if you type in holistic pharmacist, I come up first. I think that's exactly how I found you. Yeah. yeah. So it's holistic-pharmacist.com is my website. So you can get to me through there. Um, you can link to my um, Instagram, which will then bring my link tree up. So it's a roundabout. But the first page of my website have, have these courses listed, as well as my totally online course, because of course, these courses are online, but they're one time only, they're live. My, but I do have a drugs deplete nutrients and nutrient drug herb interaction 10 hour course online, which some pharmacists from the States have actually taken it. It's quite wonderful. Um, and it's listed. You, you can get to that one as well. That's another area I've spent a lot of time is how drugs affect nutrients and how they deplete nutrients. Yeah, such an important area. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I, I hope pharmacists out there are realizing that there's a lot more to learn, even though we already learned a lot in school. And I hope that they reach out to you with any questions and they could always ask me. So please don't hesitate to connect and build a community around this natural and a holistic uh, way of doing pharmacy. So thank you again so much for being on the show. And I definitely want to keep in touch and maybe take some of your courses. Well, Marina, it would be my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed the show and learned something new. I certainly get super inspired and motivated by my guests and I hope the same is true for you. If so, I would really appreciate an honest and sweet review on any of the podcast platforms. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week ahead.